Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. In this episode, we're going to discuss some of the preoperative considerations when discussing neoadjuvant therapy for non-small cell lung cancer. And uh, first of all, I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Trisha Cottrell, um, who's a pathologist, to to go over some of the considerations we have in terms of testing for patients when considering neoadjuvant therapy. Thank you, Dr. Ford. I think uh, pathology departments have a really important role in making sure that we're expediting pretreatment therapy, uh, sorry, pretreatment testing results. I think it's important that pathologists expedite pretreatment testing results so that uh, patients who are confirmed as having mutations for ALK or EGFR uh, receive the appropriate therapies as they would be excluded from the current approval for neoadjuvant treatment. Yeah, I think I think that's a key point and something which uh, for us as medical oncologists, we really have to consider with these therapies. Uh, Checkmate H16 and all of the other neoadjuvant trials have excluded patients with EGFR and ALK. Um, to move to Dr. Peters, just to, to ask her um, some considerations medical oncologists may have in terms of getting a patient who's newly diagnosed with lung cancer through neoadjuvant therapy to surgery and some of the figures on that. Yeah, thanks a lot. I think we are experiencing a new era of uh, opportunities, uh, thinking and considering admis- uh, the administration of neoadjuvant chemo IO, even in stage two disease, right? Meaning that we were pretty used to consider neoadjuvant chemotherapy for stage three. It was even, we could say, evidence-based, but now the idea is not only chemo, it's chemo-IO, and it's in early disease, stage two, stage three, even stage 1B, more than four centimeter. So it's really expanding it with a concern if we want to really be conservative and looking at data with a a kind of scrutiny or a little bit of, I would say, um, all the worries that we could have by changing the paradigm of surgery first. We have been seeing across trials uh, that we have in hands now, a certain number of patients who are screened and enrolled in the trial for neoadjuvant chemo versus neoadjuvant chemo IO, who do not reach surgery, who are not resected at the end. It's between 7 and 17% of the patients. You will probably ask me, does it happen in real life? Yes, probably, because some patients progress under neoadjuvant chemo or chemo IO. Some patients refuse to go to surgery. Some patients have toxicities. But the question is, is this, are these 7 to 17 more than when you would expect in real life? I'm not sure we have the answer, but we have to keep it in mind by implementing a new strategy. You should never take the risk of making the surgery impossible. And, and I think we need more trials and more data to make sure it is not the case. Perfect. No, I think I think that's a key consideration uh, when we're discussing these options with patients. Um, neoadjuvant therapy is a wide funnel. We're essentially taking everyone who's coming in the door newly diagnosed with lung cancer and offering them not quite a new approach, but something which has not been used widely um, up until recently. Um, just move on to Dr. Spicer, who's a thoracic surgeon, and maybe to get your perspective, John, on, on neoadjuvant novel approaches and neoadjuvant therapy, how a surgeon might approach that and consider it. Yeah, and to sort of dovetail with what Dr. Peters was saying, um, this concern of, of missing a window to curative surgery is, is really perhaps one of the most uh, uh, current and frequent refrains we hear. Um, 
you know, we have to remember that uh, the, the trial data around new adjuvant versus adjuvant show pretty much equivalent survival gains when we're talking about conventional chemotherapy. Those, those, those comparisons can be criticized because, as you said, new adjuvant is a wide funnel of patients and some might not make it to surgery, whereas adjuvant trials tend to be selected patients who actually get to adjuvant therapy. But a lot of people forget the, the NATCH data, which is pretty much our only uh, fully accrued trial comparing uh, surgery as an upfront and only modality surgery with adjuvant therapy versus new adjuvant chemo followed by surgery. And what was very clear from that trial is that there was no harm incurred by the application of new adjuvant chemotherapy. If anything, the disease-free survival was numerically superior in those patients. So, so the argument to say that by giving new adjuvant treatment, you may uh, compromise the patient's long-term outcome is not really borne out by high-quality uh, trial data. Um, and that was that was 15 years ago with with you know uh, perhaps more toxic and, and less effective uh, systemic therapy regimens. So while I, I, I hear the concerns about the 17% rate of rate of non-progression to surgery in, in Checkmate 816, I was reassured by the Nadim 2 data where we saw uh, only 7% of patients in stage 3A and 3B uh, not making it to surgery. And then I think the final point I would have about this is centers have to look at their own performance and their own data and their own ability to get patients through the full treatment trajectory. What's, I think, unquestioned, regardless of the strategy you employ, is that a full treatment course is what offers the best treatment plan. And certainly in, in our environment, the vast, vast majority of patients who are assigned to a neodjuvant regimen will make it to the operating room. Yeah, I, yeah, I think those are great points, John. And um, I think uh, one the one thing I might bring back a little bit to Dr. Cottrell is, um, so as an immunopathologist, uh, what are your thoughts on not so much theoretical benefits in terms of immunotherapy specifically in the neoadjuvant setting, but we do have some data on this, some mouse studies, um, some some data from your own work, um, suggesting that perhaps there are practical scientific benefits to using neoadjuvant immunotherapy as opposed to adjuvant. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I, I do wear multiple hats in terms of immunology as well as pathology. Um, I wanted to add, I think from the pathology perspective of getting patients to surgery, it is critical that the genomic testing be performed in an expedited manner. And I know that there's variation across sites where some places do reflex testing of pretreatment biopsies that are adenocarcinoma and others don't, and, and it requires a clinician to initiate that testing. So I think, uh, Working with pathologists to streamline those workflows uh, is certainly a piece that would help the neoadjuvant therapy get started sooner and, and hopefully uh, increase rates of patients getting to surgery. In terms of the immunology, um, I, I'd like to emphasize that uh, this is a, a whole new world in terms of uh, therapy. That's the mechanism of immune checkpoint blockade is very different from chemotherapy. So. With immune checkpoint blockade, we're specifically looking to activate an anti-tumor immune response. And we saw in Checkmate 816 that PDL1 immunohistochemistry um, actually does uh, enrich for, you know, select for patients who are more likely to respond. So those patients who had more than 50% uh, PDL1 expression on their tumors, the highest rates of response. So I think there are um, potential roles 
for actually using pretreatment biomarkers to select the subset of patients that are most likely to respond to neoadjuvant therapy. We also know that in patients who have cold tumors where there's not a, an immune response present, that response to particularly single agent anti-PD-1 is particularly unlikely. So I think having additional data to support actually selecting patients based on the likelihood of response is certainly going to be one way that we're able to increase uh, the rate of patients getting to surgery moving forward. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent point. And I guess, um, Dr. Peters, how do you approach a discussion about neoadjuvant versus adjuvant with a patient? So, so say you have someone comes into your clinic tomorrow with stage two lung cancer. How do you how do you approach that discussion? So it's nice you take the stage two because for stage three, it's a discussion we already had since, as I said before, since some years, right? For stage three, for me, it makes sense for many reasons, including the resectability and the ease that the surgeon might have to resect afterwards. For stage three, for me, neoadjuvant is obvious. But for this stage two, I think we still have to really manage to uh, handle a fair discussion with the patient, right? The patient is usually expecting to start with surgery and you have to explain why, as uh, it was said before, immunologically, it might make sense to revert the sequence. And on the other hand, the idea is that anyway, the treatment is delivered at some time point before or after. Of course, the assessment is not exactly the same. Our clinical staging is different from a pathological staging, but there is a rational immunologically and biologically to think that the immune response might be better in a clonal naive tumor being in place as compared to, uh, I would say, a treatment which should be given in a, in a patient who is completely resected. And I must say, my discussion has changed a bit into more an incentive to maybe accept the neoadjuvant since we have seen the melanoma data. Because our melanoma, you remember, melanoma is a disease paving the way to immunotherapy, right? And we had this nice trial presented at the ESMO meetings this year, just thinking about giving the whole adjuvant pembro in melanoma after surgery or just anticipating three cycles before surgery. And the outcome was so much better by anticipating three cycles before surgery. So maybe we are not melanoma doctors, but something about the immune response gives me some incentive at least to propose it to the patient, knowing that compliance might be better. And anyway, for these patients, surgery and IO are the rules, right? Perfect. Well, I think, um... I think those are points we're going to definitely expand on in some of the other episodes in this series. I think we've had a good initial discussion here about those first considerations when we have patients coming in the door. And um, I think there are several other episodes where we're going to discuss these in more detail. So feel free as uh, learners to join those episodes. Uh, thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. Thank you for listening.